0: Hey, uh, did you guys appreciate uh, Gabe's little sermonette during the welcoming? That was pretty good, wasn't it? I was like, Gabe? We might have to have an altar call. Gabe dropped it on us, didn't he? But I I appreciate that, my brother. I appreciate that. Hey, listen, um, no shocker to anybody here who's part of the uh, Driven Church family. Uh, We're in the book of Exodus, right? And uh, we're working our way through it. As a matter of fact, uh, we're in chapter 23. We're kind of closing out what is typically called the case laws of uh, uh, the book of the covenant. And, and <clears throat> just to kind of give you a refresher, uh, uh, back in chapter 20 of Exodus, we covered uh, the Ten Commandments, right? Now, I'm not saying that we covered it in one service, but we covered it over multiple services, didn't we? And then in chapter 21 part of the case laws of the the book of the covenant we covered, and it was uh, the treatment of Hebrew servants or Hebrew slaves and personal injury. We dealt with all that. Now, that doesn't sound really interesting. doesn't really sound like it's really going to do anything for your spirit. But if you were here and you worked your way through that scripture, you understand there was a lot, a lot in that scripture. And if you see it from God's perspective, completely alters the way you understand that Scripture. And it's important, what? That we see it God's way as opposed to taking the Scripture and processing it through our own individual prism and coming to our own conclusion. We want to see it the way God sees it. Amen? And then in chapter 22... Uh, we, we dealt with protection of property and social responsibilities. I know some of you guys are thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds like we're in class, right? That's exactly what it sounds like. And that's the furthest thing uh, that I want it to be whenever we're up or sharing God's Word. And, um, but it's necessary, and we've covered this, so this is somewhat redundant, uh, uh, Mandy, that I would say this, but I, I, I feel the need to from time to time. Just the importance of, of knowing God's Word Studying God's Word, seeing who God is, and allowing that to change us, Ryan. I think when we we get a clear picture of God, it gives us a clear picture of us and the lack that we have and the generosity that He presents to us, right? And so uh, it's very, very important that we see God in the Scriptures, even in the small things, in the small things. Well, in chapter 23, verses 10 through 19, we basically close out the, uh, uh, the case laws. Okay, Now, we're not going to cover nine, uh, 10 through 19 today. As a matter of fact, to many of your delight, we're going to cover uh, verses 10 through 13. It uh, sounds relatively easy to navigate. There's some really important things in here. And so uh, I was going to try to push us through 19, but I don't want to do that to you guys. I don't want to, I don't want to overwhelm you uh, with, with a, lot of, a lot of information, a lot of stuff. And I want to do the Scripture justice. I don't want to bypass so much stuff that we miss some of the essence of the Scripture just to get more of it. And so we're going to look at these few verses uh, this morning. And I think there's absolutely, in every, every text that we've studied so far, there's always an application. Always an application. Always an application. And you say, well Trent, you, you may not make application for me. You need to make application for yourself. When we study the scripture, we understand the scripture. We are the ones who make application. I leave and I take the scripture and I apply it to me. And you should be doing in like manner, right? Okay, so, so basically uh, what is taking place right here, I'm sorry guys, I didn't aim to hit that. Is that too loud? Do we need to turn it down, Larry? I'm good? Well, I'm loud. Is that what you mean? The volume's fine. That's what he meant. That's what he meant. Yeah, okay, we understand. We're reading between the lines, Jack. All right, uh, right here in uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 13, <coughs> we're, we're, we're making a, a, this, uh, this, this transition into the Sabbath law that's going to apply over the land. All right? Now, the important thing to understand in this scripture is that God is going to be giving them directions on how how to maintain a land, Frankie, that they don't possess. You know what I mean? Maintain a land that they don't possess yet. And so the implication is that God's got a plan. God's got a plan for a land to come that yet isn't in their possession, but He's given them the knowledge of how to steward this land once it arrives. And so from time to time in our lives, God establishes things that are not, right? With the anticipation and the expectations that they will, but he equips us beforehand to deal with it when it arrives, right? It's like the mother who's expecting. She doesn't wait till the baby is born before she goes out and buys diapers and goes out and buys supplies and gets the baby room ready and all that to the nursery. No, no, she gets all that ready before a baby ever arrives. And so when the baby arrives, she's equipped to manage the baby. Or the husband is equipped to manage. She's equipped to manage the baby. Well, we're not going to be that generous to our fathers this morning. So you you understand, you understand what's happening, what's happening here. And uh, the one thing that I want you guys to understand, though, is though he's given them directions in regards to handle and to manage this land that he's about to give them, never lose sight that the gift is never greater than the giver of the gift. Okay, the land isn't as important as God himself. God had established a relationship with Abraham and with his descendants prior to them ever possessing this land. So we can never lose sight of the importance of the giver and, 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 and don't become uh, locked in on what it is that he's giving us. You understand what I'm talking about? I mean, he's not wanting to provide for us with the understanding that we're going to forsake our, 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 our desire for him for the desire of the items or the things or the possessions or the resources. Hence, the reason God may withhold from some of us at times because we had wayward hearts that stray, and we have a, a compulsion or at least an inclination to become those types of people. And so, sometimes when we look and we find lack in our lives, and we're like, Lord, why are, why are you. Why are you allowing this? Why, where is your provision in all of this? Or what we at least perceive to be provision. Sometimes we may ask, maybe the provision would stray our hearts into a different place. Because the lack still has us coming to God. Sometimes the provision and the resources and will have us basically sliding right out the door, man. And then God is at such a great distance. You know what I'm talking about, Kellen? And so sometimes, man, we, we need to understand where our focus needs to be, and it needs to be on the giver, that being the Father, that being Jesus, right? Right? Okay. I remember, and because we're, we're kind of like this, and, and you may be able to understand this, uh, we, we have a tendency to kind of jump ship whenever God implies or says something to us, and all of a sudden, we're so fixated on, on the thing that God has granted us or given to us that the instructions that he gives, we, we, we kind of lose sight of all that and we fixate on this. It's like a, the first time uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my son a cell phone. You know what I'm talking about? I say, Clark, uh, hypothetically, uh, I'm going to give you a cell phone. He's like, cell phone, yeah. And I'm like, well, this is what I need you to do. This is what, you don't do this, you don't do, you need to go here, you need to do this. And the whole time he's like, cell phone, cell phone, cell phone. And then I'm like, did you hear anything I said? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting a cell phone. Right? And so it is with God at times. And so he's making these, these suggestions or he's making these directions, giving these directions. And I think at times, The the people are saying, yes, 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 but all they're saying yes to is the land and not to God. That's the reason when you go into Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, at the end of the book of the covenant, or at least these tenets, they say to God, everything the Lord has said, we will do. But guess what they didn't do? They didn't do what the Lord had said. And part of it may be they never really listened to what the Lord had said. They were fixated on the land to come. A home, the prosperity. We'll do everything the Lord said, and then you could almost say or see them saying what what, what did he say? You know, that's what that's what Clark would have done. Clark's got his new phone. Or, you wanna do everything your dad said? Yes. what did he say? I, I, ask him. <laughs> right? Okay, so let's let's look at this scripture. Let's look at the scripture. It says, for six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it. And the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. I love the fact that he's even caring for the animals. Man, there's something beautiful about the caring and the loving and the compassion of God, right? He's not forsaking anybody in this this dynamic or in this equation. He says, six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work so that your ox and your donkey may rest so that the slave born in your household... We already covered what that meant. It's not just some some hired hand. This is somebody significant. This is someone intimately close to the master. It says, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. That doesn't sound like too much, does it? Not too much. We'll see. (laughs) Father, in Jesus' name, oh Lord, I just pray this morning that everyone gathered here this morning at this very moment would literally open their hearts up right now, just stir, stir their hearts, stir their minds, Lord. May we be open to receive what you have to say to us. Father, I believe you want to speak to us this morning. There's mothers here, there's fathers here, Lord, who are carrying such heavy weights, uh, overwhelmed with pressures, pulled and stretched so thin. I pray, Father, that this morning would be a time of renewal and refreshing Because you desire that for your sons and your daughters. And so we've gathered in your care this morning, Father, to receive that from you. So we bless you and we bless your name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these things. Amen. 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 Let's let's look right there at verse 10. Pull that up, Clark. Verse 10, Exodus, verse 10. Right there. You guys see it? If you don't have your Bibles, you can read it right up here on the monitors. Let's, Let's take a look at this. The scripture says, for six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops, right? A call to to labor, a call to responsibility, right? He says, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. Now this is something that God had commanded the people to observe on the seventh day Sabbath, right? 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 There, when, when we look at the, the, uh, the Scripture, we understand that this is a principle that the people were already kind of working under. You know what I'm talking about? In their own personal lives, right? And so, so, there is this thing that is now going to be playing out on the land as it plays out in their lives, right? And this is what it says. It says, the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Now there's there's three things here. Now I want you to get this because there's kind of a parallel between the land and us, you and I. He's calling for a Sabbath for the land to recover, as well as he establishes for us within the 7-day week, a Sabbath day for us to recover. And there's parallels. There are similar things taking place in the lives of the people and the life of the land. And I want you to see these Parallels. And you'll get this. You'll get this because you know it. You know it. It's your experience. The benefit of the land laying dormant every seven years. There's things that take place in that dormancy that doesn't take place in any other manner. One of them is that the nutrients are restored by the ground being left fallow. You know what I'm talking about? Dormant. It allows the ground to recover. Now, you and I know that it is important, Chrissy, it is important, Drew, it is important for each of us to take that one out of seven to rest. For what reason? That we might have some nourishment restored, some nutrients restored within our hearts, within our souls, within our very being, Greg. It is absolutely important. We can't continue to run wide open full bore, and expect to be able to maintain any type of intimacy with God, any type of strength with God, if we're not taking moments or time, a a, a period to pull back from all of that and to have our soul nourished, right? And you know what I'm talking about because you've been there. You've been there when you've been so thin. You've been there when you've been so exhausted. You've been there when you've been so overworked and that time with God has been neglected. You've been there, right? I've been there. I've been there in the service of the work of the kingdom. And many of you have been there. It applies to everyone. Just like the land benefits from the doors. You benefit when you take that time. Right, man? In this dormancy, this takes place as well. Pestilences. The the pestilence cycle is broken. The leeches, the bugs, the the pest of the crops, the locusts, whatever they may be. This dormancy allows that pestilence cycle to end. Now, what you and I know is living out there, brothers and sisters, living in this world, man, going to school. You know what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, man, there's some things out there that will leach onto you. I mean will bite into you, man, will secure itself into you. And if you're not taking that time in your own life to draw back, to become nourished, and to identify what is latched onto you, that thing will suck you dry the individuals you encounter who, who are anti-Christ in the sense that they're, they're atheists or agnostic or don't care about the gospel, man, you surround yourself with those types of people long enough, you will begin to feel it, man. You will begin to feel the very life essence out of you being drained. And so if we don't take time to be nourished, we don't take time to be separated to where we can kind of concentrate on God and God alone, We're going to suffer loss, Carl. We're going to suffer loss. And so the land, it was necessary that the land would have this cycle time. That it could break free from these pestilences and such. Leeches. Some of you come home from work. Some of you come home from school. And you feel like this, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? Kick that stuff off, man. You know what I'm talking about. But if you're not kicking it off and you're not taking time, man, soon enough, man, vanquished. And then the other benefit of this is that soil-based bacteria, the fungi and root-based disease are confronted or arrested by this dormant year. And these are the things that are root-based, man, soul based These are the things that the farmer can't see. And you and I, if we're not being nourished, if we're not pulling this stuff off, There's going to be things that's going to sink into us. There's going to be attitudes that sink into us, dispositions that are going to get into us that no one can see. You can't even see. You don't know why you're responding a certain way. You don't know why you're so short. You don't know why you're so aggravated. You don't even, because this thing has gotten in you. You don't know why you respond to the people you love most the way that you do. It's because this thing, man, this thing, it's the unseen thing. It's the root thing. It's the, it's the, the, the bacteria. It's, it's the, the ringworm, spiritually speaking, has gotten in you. And because you're not taking that time, man, all of a sudden you start to look around and you say, spiritually, I'm sick. And I can't really put, I can't put a, I can't really identify why. Drew, I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. I can't identify why I'm communicating the way I'm communicating. I can't understand why I look at my son and I have no patience. The things that have latched onto me have now latched into me. And I'm starting to be and act just like the things that I should have been pulling off. But it all started when I wasn't getting nourished. And so God is establishing something for the children of Israel. It kind of reminds me, and I'm going to tell you this, I'm just going to be honest with you. We get kind of dull, man. When we're not following God in these basic, simple precepts Jeremiah, we get kind of dull. It it reminds me of the little story I just read. It's about a, a wood chopper who is challenged by a lesser woodchopper. I don't know how many of you guys have ever been over to Lincoln Days, over to, over to Hodgeville, They got that rail splitting competition. Guess who won that three years in a row? Not me, somebody else. But it reminds me of a similar activity, wood chopping, and, and, and what this was, or rail splitting, this, this young woodchopper had challenged a, a mature woodchopper and it says the challenger worked very hard throughout the day, stopping only for a brief lunch break because this man was wanting to beat the experienced woodchopper. The other man had a leisurely, the experienced woodchopper, had a leisurely approach to everything. He took a leisurely lunch. He took several breaks during the day. At the end of the day, the challenger was surprised. And annoyed to find that the other fellow had chopped substantially more wood than he had. I don't get it, said the young woodchopper. Every time I checked you, you were taking a rest, yet you chopped more wood than I did. The experienced woodchopper said, But you didn't notice every time I sat down to rest that I was sharpening my axe. The rest, what's really happening? That wet rot. The sharpening of that blade. Sharpening of that blade. It's going to allow you and it's going to allow me to cut more wood when God calls us to the wood cutting. But what the enemy wants us to do is to become so overwhelmed with the ancillary things of this life, that our blade becomes dull. And when the responsibility of cutting the spiritual wood arrives, we're delivering blow after blow with a blunt object that's dull and unaffected. And so you and I have to ask ourselves within the context of this scripture, understanding the lay of the land, what about my acts? Am I taking that time? To really sharpen. Even when everyone else says, Trent's just resting. But I'm sharpening. Are you sharpening? Because we all have an axe. And we all have wood to cut. There's a thing that I've come to realize, Mike Denzik, in my own life, Frankie, I've realized this in my own life. That when the enemy comes to dole my axe, and Frankie he'll come brother he comes he comes he'll come Dave he's coming he's coming he's coming to do your axe. what I've come to realize in my own life Jeff Drew Dwayne I can go on and on Chase Carl what I've come to realize brother is that when the enemy comes and he does come to do my axe with thoughts, attitudes, all these other things, busyness, pull here, pull there. What I've come to realize is that there's something that is directly connected to the enemy's arousal to dull my axe. You know what that thing is? Wood chopping. Opportunity for God to use me. So the enemy likes to slide in there. You know what I mean? He likes to slide in there. And he likes to dull the axe. And then all of a sudden the wood chopping comes and the wood chopping seems to be so overwhelming because the axe has been dulled. So in my own mind, what I do, Jeremiah, when the enemy comes, when the enemy comes to dull my axe through through whatever means he chooses to do that, I have to arrest my own mind and my own spirit. And in that moment of weakness, I have to say, I've got to push through wood chopping's coming and you and i to whatever degree that we must do that when the enemy comes to dull the blade of the axe we must refuse we must never concede to that and we must identify that wood chopping is coming and the enemy's assault upon the axe is present and you got to push through We have some visitors here this morning they're thinking this guy's crazy. I come for a sermon. This cat's talking about sawmills, lumberyards. Do you get, are you tracking with me? You understand what I'm saying? I got a knife at the house. Sometimes Dwayne will come over. Dwayne, and my brother, comes over to the house every once in a while and we would be pillaring around doing something after we've played around. <laughs> and and uh, we'll be out in the garage one night and, and there's times I'll, I'll pull something out. And it'll, it'll be like my little cobalt razor knife or whatever it might be. And I'm, I'm cutting something, just cutting. It's sharp. And then Dwayne says, well, here, try this. He'll pull out that knife of his. I'm sitting there fighting through it and I finally, you know, it's like butter. And I thought mine was sharp. I actually had in my hands a tool that was really sharp don't lie, don't listen to the lies of the enemy when he tells you oh you're sharp enough you're sharp enough when you can always be sharper you can always be sharper you can be Trent Cobalt sharp sharp, or you can be Dwayne pocket knife sharp that's up to you you can be as sharp in God as you want to be No one can determine how sharp you will be. Only you. Right, Greg? Only you, Jack. All right, let's move on. I'm sorry. These are three verses, four verses, right? Get through them, Trent. It says, but during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. We've recognized that. We've made application Go home and apply it again. Come into church next week with splinters. And you've been busting so much wood. Right? It says, Then the poor people among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive garden. Now listen. Get this. These are people that's going to be working the land and whatnot. And God stipulates to them, I understand the way in which you're going to earn a living and provide for your family and your community. I understand all that. I understand it's going to be involved in work in the land that I'm going to provide for you. But every seven years, don't work. Now that's a scary proposition to all of us who are workers. Right? Because what that introduces into the equation is a trust dynamic. That we must trust God more than we trust the fruit of our hands. That whatever God's doing in the plan, man, is going to be adequate. It'll it'll suffice. It'll, It'll be more than what I could have done with my hands. Right? Well, listen. He says this to them about the land, man. He says this about the land. And they should have at least embraced this notion because they were actually living in this provision on a weekly basis. So when God says to them, let the land lay dormant every seven years, they should not be shocked at this moment that God is suggesting that he will provide in the seventh year. Why? Why? Because he was at that moment providing for them every sixth day a double portion so they would have provision for the seventh day. This was a weekly thing these cats were experiencing. So God is calling them into this deeper level of trust over the land while demonstrating to them, I've got this. Go to Exodus 16, verse 4 and 5. You got that, Clark? Thank you, sir. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread, that being manna, from heaven for you. For the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that land. In this way I will test them. Ooh, test them. Dynamic, a trust dynamic right here playing out. He's te- right And see whether they will follow my instructions. He's given the instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why is it twice as much? It's because there's twice to gather. Twice as much to gather. In Leviticus, Leviticus, this scripture kind of opens up. And God gives a little commentary, and He speaks to the heart of the people. Because this is, when I read this, this is kind of like how I felt like God would talk to me. Okay? Because I'm looking at this situation. I'm a Hebrew farmer, right? I, I'm in there, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna, He's going to give me the land. I'm going to work it six years. And then the seventh year, I'm going to do what? Not work it. Okay. All right. How's this going to work, God? How, how, how is this? And this is what He says in Leviticus chapter 25, 18 through 22. Listen to this. Just listen. It's okay. Or just listen. Or read along. He says, follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws and you will live safely in the land. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat, feel, and live there in safety. Man, that sounds like a pretty good... Brooke, I'm down with that. Sounds good, God. Same page, God. You walking with me, God. I'm not... You walking with me or am I walking... Okay. All right. You may ask... Listen to this. You may ask... What will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? Of course we would ask. Of course we would ask. You know what I really mean by that, Josh? Of course I would ask. Every time God calls me to a place of trusting alliance upon him. Hey, Frankie, I'm always asking, well, what's going to happen then? Right? Are you there? Violet, you there? Look, Tim, why are you yelling at little Miss Violet? We would ask that, wouldn't we, Kellen? Well, you told me not to do this. Well, what am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? And this is what he says Trent, I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. I'll read it one more time. I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. But you know what that's going to require? Some spiritual sweat equity. You know what that means? You have to harvest three times as much. This thing, man, he ain't just pouring it out of the heavens and dropping it in your barns. Get out there and work, man. I'm going to provide it, but you've got to gather it. In that sixth year, people curse hard work. Oh, man, I got to work. I got to do this. The whole time, God's trying to provide for me. The man says to God in prayer, Lord, I need help paying my electric bill. His supervisor comes to him and says, I need you to work eight hours overtime Saturday. And the man curses Saturday. Because what he was praying Well, that God would send someone to pay his bill. When in fact God had provided and the man ended up cursing the provision because it was going to require him on the sixth day to labor much. You with me tracking? He says, while you plant, listen to this. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and will continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. But it's a trust dynamic. Man, we've got to trust God. And man, he's, he's laying down some heavy stuff about lay, leaving the land dorm. But they got to trust God, Brittany. You, young mom, got to trust God. It's hard to trust God sometimes. It's hard because of who we are. We sometimes have to divorce ourselves to trust God. There's an old story about a man who falls off a cliff and he's going to die, but he throws out a hand and miraculously catches a branch dangling from the cliff, hanging onto a branch. Is anyone up there? He cries out, yes, comes a response. Who are you? I am God and I'm going to save you. Wonderful, what should I do? Let go. Is anybody else up there? <laughs> the man responds. That's like you and me, right? You've read that story, you've heard. The reason it's retold multiple times is because it's so true. That's who we are, Greg. Trust is the last resort thing. All right. He said, for six years you will sow your fields and and harvest your crops, but during the seventh year let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what is left of it. Okay, every time this is brought up in the Scripture, I'm going to reiterate this to you. If it's brought up a thousand times, you're getting this commentary. There's going to be poor amongst God's people. He just said, I don't care what T.D. Jakes, Jakes, Joel Osteen, or anybody else tells you. It's just the way it is. But it doesn't mean there's not provision for the poor. And we have to understand what poor is. Poor for you and me isn't poor for those people in third world countries. Come on, we got got to be able to discern, and we got to be able to to, to process that through a, a, a reasonable understanding. But he said, there's going to be poor among you, and I'm going to make this provision for them. And what that says to me is that God has a heart. He's very compassionate for the downtrodden. We've covered this multiple times throughout the case laws, right? That God's heart is for the oppressed and the poor, the downtrodden, and the least. Which may be some of you. May be me. At times, I believe it's secular in the sense that there'll be times we are the receiver. Of the, there'll be times that we're going to be the giver. But all of it is God's covering. Right? All right. Proverbs 19, 17 says this whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Notice what he doesn't say. He didn't say he's going to reward you based on what the poor does or what you lend them. You know what I'm talking about. That cat that needs money, and you're like, man, I done bought this cat five packs of Marlboro. He told me he wanted a sandwich. And never about he's coming out of the tobacco warehouse. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Guy comes to you, family's hungry. Here's a 25 spot. And then you see them coming out of them. I ain't gonna tell you where you see them coming out of. Right? You're like, man, I ain't doing that anymore. God's, God didn't say he would reward you based on how they respond to your Lindy. Sometimes, man, you can't. Have, sometimes you're just gonna get taken advantage of. You're gonna get taken advantage of, Bree. It's gonna happen. Somebody's gonna come to you, man, they're they gonna milk you, man. They'll milk the generosity that God has placed in your heart. Now, we we have to be shrewd, we have to be understanding, but we have to be people who have an eye turned towards the poor and the needy. But how? How are the poor fed? How are the poor fed? If there's no crops being produced, how are they being fed? They seem to be the most vulnerable, don't they? How many of you've lived on a farm? Ever been around a farm? Watched a farm on TV? You've spelled farm in class? You know what I'm, ta- I'm not talking about? Whether or not you got a, a bachelor's degree in agricultural studies, this that, and that. I'm talking about. You've smelled manure. Okay, now we got real farmers. All right, all right. Now you know what overgrowth is, right? It's when you let that land, you know, the cats out there. Uh, if you're in the if you if, if if you're in the Nazarene Church, they're they're growing corn. If you're in the Baptist Church, these cats out there are growing tobacco. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay, all right, all right. And whatever crop you're growing, whatever it is, that year you lay dormant, the wild thing that amazes you, you go out there at times. And there's nothing that's been sown and you've got a half a field of crop out there. You, you, man, you've got three acres of corn waist high and you didn't drop anything in that field. But it's the overgrowth. You know, you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Now this is what the scripture says about that overgrowth and how God provides for these people. Leviticus 25, 3 and 7 says this. Follow me. For six years sow your fields, for six years prune your vineyards and gather your crops. The working thing. This is where he's opening things back up. He's letting you see into this. But in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest. That's that's the same thing we're covering right there. To the Lord, do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Watch this. Do not reap what grows of itself. The word reap there means don't take it in for yourself. Owner of the land, it's your land, but it's not your overgrowth. Did you read what the scripture just says right there? Do not reap what grows of itself. Commentary, nothing grows of itself. What the scripture actually means is the things that grew not out of your effort. God is the grower of the things when man's hands are not involved in it. It Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. Whatever the land yields during the Sabbath year will be food for you, for yourself, your male and female servants, and the hired worker, and the temporary resident who live among you, as well as for your livestock and the wild animals in your land. Whatever the land produces may be eaten. The untended land, the untended year, the overgrowth is born out of the hands of God. And if it's on your land, it doesn't mean it's your property. It's still God's property. That's something we need to take into our hearts this morning. Everything in your bank account, everything in your 401K, everything in your your IRAs and whatever else, if you're kingdom-minded, you've got to understand that ain't yours. You know what I'm talking about? You've got to understand that if God requires it, man, you just got to move. you got to move in it. on their land but it's for everyone and for them as well if need be but for the owners of the land it won't need it it won't be needed you know why you know why because of the blessing of the six year three year they'll be eating off that to the ninth harvest time the ninth year harvest time Oh, here, let me move on, man. I'm, I'm weighing this down here. And then I'm, I'm, I really want to close with this right here, okay? Now, this is pretty shifty. So all you Bible scholars out there, keep your eye on me. I might get shifty on you, try to slide something in on you that you ain't expecting. And you're like, I'm just going to take that. You may not want to take it. You may want to kind of take it home and just filter it. Make sure what I'm saying is what it's saying and understand what it's under, you know, it's real understanding. That's commentary on false teachers, okay? Don't always take everything it said from the pulpit <laughs> with a blind eye, man. Eat this stuff and devour it, chew it up, let it... Pr- spew out what's not real. But let's look at this, because this is going to feel shifty, but I give you my word, it isn't. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest. So that the slave born in your household and the foreigner live among you may be refreshed. Two different words. Two different words. Words. We read it with the understanding that there's a dual application with the same meaning to the animals and to the people, and it's not correct. The word rest, uh, uh, that's, the, the application is to the ox and the donkey, is Shabbat, and it means to cease or desist from physical activity. It is a physical rest. That the animal would benefit from, right? For that whole year, a physical rest. That's not the same word used regarding refreshing the individuals within the house of the Hebrews. When it says may be refreshed, it's the Hebrew word, nafash. Nafash. And it means respirited or re- or new-souled. It has a connotation of renewal of both body and spirit. When the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, translates that same word for refreshed, it is translated into the Greek word proslutos. Proslutos. And it proslutos has a deeper understanding than even just a spiritual and physical rest. Do you remember what the Hebrew translation renders that as? As what? What what? Respirited or new sowed? When it's translated into the Greek, proslutos, it is the same, it's it's where we derive the word proselytized. Or convert convert you know what he was saying he was saying in honoring me let these slaves and these servants work these are people who aren't necessarily of Hebrew descent because my goal is that through your expression of my teaching in your life they may be converted new sold But it don't end there. Because we done jumped on the Greek ship, right? So we're going to jump in another little Greek phrase. And it's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. And there's this cat speaking right here in Matthew that you and I both know. His name is Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Very familiar scripture. 28, 30, Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Anapayo means refreshed. (laughs) You know what he says right after the refreshing? I will give you rest. What's he saying right after the refreshing? Take my yoke. Come under me. Come under me. And you will learn from me. You know what Jesus was saying? Be converted. Come under me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Become mine. Become mine. And he ends up saying these words. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest. Rest and a pile for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, do You tracking with me? The beauty of the teaching in the Old Testament and the beauty of the Gospels and how they're intertwined and how the heart of God never compromises His intentions, Kellen, remains the same. Ultimately, to bring us in the New Testament into a relationship under the yoke and rest and teaching or learning of Jesus, proselytizing us into the faith, Just as he declared to his people to do for the slaves and the servants within the house. Because God wants to refresh us. Frankie, he wants to refresh us. So we close with this verse with no commentary. I just want to read it to you. Because we just, with the understanding that we just had from these few verses of the heart of God, how, how ridiculous is the next verse that we would even challenge it? Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Of course. Why would God even say be careful when he's opened his heart up to us? And we see what motivates him. We see the love that he he extends to us. And after doing that, he has to say to us, be careful to do everything that I've told you to do. And then to go forward and say, do not invoke the names of other gods, little g. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Is that necessary? That he would even say that? Yeah, it is necessary. Do you know why it's necessary? Because the Hebrews were a lot like us. And God, in Christ Jesus, has lavished upon us his love, his endearment, his compassion... And still he says to us, be careful to listen. Don't turn your hearts to false gods and teachings. How in the world can we be people who repel a God who loves us and extends himself to such a degree in our lives as he does, and yet we resist him? And the whole time he's looking at us as we're hunched over with fatigue and spiritual exhaustion. And he's saying, the people you're running to can't take that off you, but I can take it off you. Right? Right? Some of you are heavy this morning, man. Some of you moms, dads, brothers, sisters, you're carrying some heavy stuff in here this morning. You carry it, man, some of it's self-inflicted. Most of, our, most of our stuff, at least for me, is self-inflicted. But this some of you, man, are under the weight of other people's decisions. Man, there's times you can't even get your breath, Greg. You feel just closed up, man. and you're breathing like this, and you can't even expand. You can't, because the weight is so great, the pressure is so intense. You live life. And Jesus on the cross experienced that. So that you could experience, I've come to give you life, he said, and give it to the full. <laughs> yeah. I've come to give you life, to expand it. Stand with me this morning. Carrie's going to come briefly, just for a moment. Just for a moment. With our heads bowed, just for a, just for a moment, please. Out of consideration for those that are here, heads bowed, and your eyes closed. There's no no manipulation. No one's doing that, man. We just want people to have a sense of intimacy. That no one's gawking. No, one, no one's looking. You, in this moment, you're safe. In this moment, you're you're in your prayer closet. With your eyes closed, you can shut that closet right now. Closing your eyes, you just shut the doors. You shut the closet. So, Dad, mom, brother, sister, that heavy thing. Maybe God has spoken to you about finding time for nourishment. About a, a Sabbath understanding that you need to be nourished. You, you need the pestilences of your life. You need a moment away from the nonsense. And you need God to do a work in you in that time to identify the things that have connected to you on a root level that you don't even understand. And all these things have attributed to the heavy weight that you're carrying. Your spiritual needs are buckling under the weight. Your back is broken. A spiritual scoliosis has set up there's a crookedness in your, your spine and your back under such great weight. If that's you this morning, it's okay that you're there. It's not okay that you stay there because He don't want you to stay there. And so, what we have for you this morning, what God has for you this morning, is an opportunity to respond, not to Trent, but to God. And what I would would say to you anywhere around this altar, you can pray. You can pray. You can just pour your heart out, it's just a conversation. It's a conversation between you and God. The reason we even open the altars sometimes, it allows us to break that spirit of pride over us. And it coming forward, sometimes there's a confession of, I need God. That's what, that's what that is. There's nothing special about the, the, the altar in that sense that there's something mystical awaiting you up here. But there is a pride, a spirit of pride breaking. In approaching, it's kind of like the woman with the issue of blood, buried or pride, willing to accept rejection just to push through and touch Jesus. So, for you this morning, if there's a need in your heart that you would like to communicate to God, these altars are open. No one's condemning you. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of us celebrate you. Celebrate you and celebrate what God is doing in you. If that is your need this morning, you need to respond to God, would you come? If you need someone to pray for you, man, just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up. And someone will pray with you. If not, you just want to pray with God, hey, amen. Have that conversation in Jesus' name. I say to you, Come.